Not really, huh? <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I hate having people to sit stand, to eat standing up, but um, okay. Yeah. Well, so let's see. We were hoping that the Chosen himself would be here, but uh, first we have to be Um You see, you see, close the door. Right. Right. Over there. And okay. So if we would, um, let's see if I can. Oh, am I connected? Yeah, oh, connected with Gray. Oh, okay. Let's see what happens. Okay. Okay. Everybody can see that on the board. Okay, so first, yeah, I don't even have to do that. Um, we, uh, Baruch Hashem, had a, a very nice sponsorship today uh, in honor of something which I feel a little bit of a connection to, um, to Jacob and Ilana. Uh, Jacob uh, was, I guess, a connection I had to IDT before I actually started working here. Uh, Jacob and Yoni were my students in uh, the high school uh, the SAR Yeshiva High School, and uh, he was a wonderful student, uh, someone who always was very uh, eager to push the envelope in terms of what we're going to do each year, um, make things very interesting, wonderful questions. Uh, I think the part that he loved most, he's still around, of course, but I used to actually give a, a sort of a halakhic question here as well. I used to create cases of Dine Torah and have the sheer act them out and think about them. And so it's really sort of like a precursor of what I'm doing here. So Jacob was actually part of the Chubas and Placekim Shear in its embryonic stage when it was part of uh, the SAR Yeshiva. And Bar uh, Hashem, uh, he's here in the company. He's engaged to a very wonderful girl, Lana. First cousin Yoni uh, contacted me. I hope he'll be here soon. And uh, he said, "Oh, we got a sponsor this year for for, for the engagement." Um, so Yoni should also have a lot of nachas from you and your family, and we should visit uh, Shemshir something together. The uh, the shear today is also special in the fact that it uh, precedes. And when we go down for minute, I'll be giving it out later. Uh, special booklets. Uh, in honor of tomorrow, which is the, uh, again, he died in, uh, the Chaim died in 1933, so considering 34 would have been his first year at site, so 2017, doing the math, I believe would be the 83rd year at site. So that's going to be tomorrow, this era of Shabbos, uh, Friday, September 15th. And I think there's probably no other figure in the 20th century that uh, bonds and brings together so many different parts of Claudius Yisrael of the Again, including you know many many wonderful people like from Kupsatzal, the Lavacher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosheber, Moshe Feinstein, and others. Uh, the the Satmarov, the Belzer Rebbe, the one who came from Eretz Yisrael was from There's so many many other figures. I'm not trying to rank them, but I think there's probably this universal uh, appeal and knowledge of the Chavos Chaim. Um, that uh, I think almost everyone uh, can recognize that he was this great Sadiq, he was this incredible human being um, and it's interesting that as much as probably uh, especially all, probably mo- most of the people in this room spend probably more time uh, learning uh, the other book that the Chavot Time worked so hard on which of course is the Meshavura 
the book that took him many, many years to work on, uh, the book that uh, he published not anonymously originally. Uh, he's still known not as the Baal Mishnabur. Usually when you reckon, when you speak about him, you don't say, well, you might say what the Mishnabur says. Unless if you're quoting the Mishnabur, you know, you can share all the that I gave you. So, so the, uh, the most people, when they'll quote the Mishnabur, they'll say, okay, the Mishnabur is this way. Of course, that means a lot. But when they speak about the person as a human being, they don't say, well, the Mishnabura came into the room, the Mishnabura met the person, the Mishnabura, a uh, story with the Mishnabura. It's always a story with Chavetz Chaim, a story with him. Uh, despite the fact that probably, again, if you would do a, a search, you'd probably see in, in any sort of database, you'd probably see that the Mishnaburas are obviously quoted much more often. Uh, and probably most of us are more familiar with a piece of a Mishnabura, a piece of a Be'er Alocha, an incredible Sharat Siyun, and yet he still remains the Chofetz Chaim. Um, and probably, again, this, you could just say that that's just the way uh, sociologically things turn out. Uh, Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky was very famous for saying that the Mishnabura, the Baal Chofetz Chaim, because he worked so much on the idea of Shmeras Haloshon, because he worked and, and, and actually almost invented uh, an area of halacha called let's know the, all the facts about what it means to speak and what you can say and what you can't say, what is Lashon Har and what isn't, that he, the schus of actually putting the significance of words helped him as well. He became almost a master writer that since the significance of what you say and how you say it and how you emphasize things is so incredibly important he says that actually generated Rabbi Yaakov said that he became this incredible writer part of what makes the Mishnah Burr such a great book I mean he had a hard job those of you again I've been doing Mishnah Burr uh, intent, well not intensely but I've been involved with Mishnah Burr for the last six years giving a shir every night in Mishnah Burr which means I actually feel like I, I've been preparing him you know, every, for two hours I spend every day with, with the Chavetz Chaim's writings um, I think I've got a sense now that I didn't have before I started with with, uh, with Dirshu about what the time was about. But as Rabbi Yaakov says, he was able, and again, he's taking from so many myriad number of sources, he was able to capture the essence of good writing and how the words should be presented. And he said, Rabbi Yaakov says, this is obviously a byproduct of his work on Losha, his work on words and how one must speak. It actually found its way into the exactitude and beautiful and knowing where to be lengthy and where to be succinct that came into the Mishnah Burah. So the way Rabbi Yaakov explains it, we can explain, well, that, that was the book, his first book, but it also, in a way, casts a shadow on almost everything else that he wrote. I think, however, that that's, you know, it's a beautiful idea that Rabbi Yaakov says, but I think there's probably more to it as well. Um, there's been a, a question as to why he decided to write this statement. Why did he decide to write? Again, I don't have the, the exact date in the 1870s or 1860s when and he was born in 1838. So he was, uh, you know, relatively a young man uh, when he wrote the mission, when he wrote the Chofetz Chaim. It was unique in, in rabbinic literature at the time because basically, as we know, he took an area that everybody knew it was wrong to speak Lashonar. Everybody knew that it was a uh, terrible Avera. There was the Rambam and from the Makoris and Chazal. You don't have to be a great researcher to see how terrible this 
idea is and how important it is in, 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 in Yiddishkeit. What, of course, the great Yiddish of the public time is not just collecting the material, but able to direct us in a halachic way. He actually, uh, he, he, he rolled up his sleeves and uh, inserted himself into the Shari Tshuva and to other svarim that most people would have thought, well, that's a good loser sacred to learn, that's a good ethical sacred to learn, it'll make you uh, uh, a holier person, perhaps. But he actually burst the boundaries between those. He says, no, from these svarim we can find halacha as well. And the Beremayim Chaims, of course, are full of the type of incredible, subtle uh, understandings in the Rishonim, which really meant that he said there is no difference between our ethical and halachic world. Many of us can say, well, we're okay when it comes uh, to our our learning, and we can learn up a Rashba, a Ramban, a Ritva, we said a good Shtikul Torah, we were able to say, like our Chaim, even better. And yet, when it comes to the way we would talk, when we would sit down and, and schmooze and talk among ourselves, okay, well, that's what I am as a person. I'm still working on it. I'm still a work in progress. With the Chavetz Chaim, once the, the, the Sefer Chavetz Chaim came out, it almost became impossible uh, to do that. Because even in a world that seems to be about, well, were you nice to someone else? Did you, did you gossip about somebody? You know, that actually became part of halacha itself. <laughs> and, and it was almost impossible to move again after that. So he really, as much as the Mishnah Guru, of course, opens up uh, clarity in a very difficult, complex, disjointed work, which is the, 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 the Shulchan Aruch, the Chafetz uh, Chaim actually, in a way, is more novel. Because what it does is it actually it, 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 it destroys totally the illusion that there can be an ethical world where you can just be from and I'm learning Muster now, and there's going to be this halachic world where I can basically, you know, uh, strut my intellectual stuff. The two are actually one, and you use the exact same skills of analysis that you would do in a, in a difficult sugi of Shor or a sugi that had to do with uh, Kenyan Apeyers, Kenyan Ahu, whatever the sugi is, you use that same sort of analysis when it comes to what can I say? What am I allowed to say about a shidduch? What do, when am I allowed to say information? And, and what can I do? And I'm going to have to look that up. And there's going to be the same way there's going to be gedar, but what sort of looks I can move, what I can't move, what sort of words can I say, and when can I say it, and what sort of situation? And it's bound by those same halachic uh, parameters. And that is something which, is, 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 in that way, I think is even more revolutionary than what he did in the Mishnah Rura. Perhaps that's why he's going to be known <laughs> and always as the Chavetzai. Um And uh, I guess as a historian, a uh, person who teaches who learns history and, and, and is involved in history, and I've looked around and tried to figure out, and you can see some English books here, um, I, I have to be makertov to my fellow Elizabethan uh, uh, Dr. Ekman, who's written a number of books on this subject, and he has a great little book here called Revealed by All, where he actually takes the Chavetz Chaim's Svarim, and he builds like a, 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 a intellectual biography of the Chavetz Chaim using his works. Uh, and he also has this book, which, again, Jewish tradition and corporate morality, using ideas from the Chavetz Chaim as well and interlacing them into what we would say is the modern world. So, Dr. Ekman, I thank you again. I don't know if you're ever going to hear this, but I, if I hope I'll see you and I'll tell you personally. But what Dr. Ekman and others have tried to figure out is why did he write this book? What, what pushed him, besides the fact that I just said that he wanted 
And that, in other words, before his time, we saw Salanter and others were pushing yeshiva people and everyone. By the way, there's uh, there's very good lemonade there. So take advantage. It's top of the line. I, I needed some drinks, so we added some lemonade. So it's in coffee containers. I don't want it. I don't want it. It's all right. So anyway, the point, though, is is that um, what brought him to write this book? Besides the fact of what it did, what was happening? So there, there's been, uh, uh, you know, the, the letters of the Chavetz Chaim's son and others have said that the Chavetz Chaim, as we know, lived, everybody knows, we can all be mishtatif here. Where did he, where, where was the Chavetz Chaim living? Rad, right? It wouldn't be for Rad, Rad was a small town. In fact, the Chavetz Chaim's father, is, what? It doesn't exist? not called that. Okay, you're, you're up on it more than I am. What? Uh-huh. Really, yeah. Chavetz Chaim, unfortunately, was... And I don't want to talk about stories today because I really want to get into the, the real learning. But Chavetz Chaim, I just, it's important to know. Again, he, become, he became a Yosem from his father when he was 10 years old. Um, and he went through uh, a serious illness uh, when he was a teenager. Uh, he, he didn't have it so easy. In fact, he married... Uh, you know, those who are working in Sanhedrin now can maybe appreciate that. He married... Um, his uh, stepsister. He married his stepsister. Um, his father-in-law was a Rav and Raden, and his he had brought into the marriage uh, a girl, Friday, and she was someone he knew. You know what I'm talking about. I was talking to you about yesterday. About the so the point is, is that it was somebody that he, he didn't have to... He, he, there wasn't such issues about finding about Shaduch about it. All that luck of the developed about who you can ask about it. Shaduch, that wasn't okay him so much. Because he was able to... Baruch Hashem, he was quite well known by... His shver was sort of his father. So um, so in that sense, he was known. Rav Shimon, his shver was a Rav and Rad. And that's how the Chavetz Chaim, although he had a lot of offers because of his brilliance, he said, no, this is the, I think this is the best Shaduch for me. And he came to be, he came to be uh, living in Raden. Now there is, of course, a, there is a Shmua. Again, it's, it's not so confirmed. And I, 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 I was trying to find the story out last night because I had read it a number of years ago. There is a story about how he actually served as rabbi, as Rav of Raden, for about a couple of months. And there's a real spooky story as to why he stopped. But there, he did. He actually, after uh, his shver was left. They uh, wanted him to be the Rav. And again, I'll get to that spooky story maybe at a different time. But then he said no, and he was never a Rav after that time. He, in fact, he wasn't even officially, everybody knows this, he wasn't officially even the Rosh Hashiva. He was sort of like the Rosh Basmedrish. Oh, that's what I am also. But, <laughs> but the point is, he wasn't actually, he wasn't actually the, the, like the one who was giving Shiurim. Uh, he gave the Shmuz in the beginning of the, of the Zman. He made sure the Bochum were taken care of. Rav Atoli Trump, of course, we all know, is uh, those who went to Yeshiva, he, hired, he knew what to hire. He hired uh, the Granat. But when he was younger, um, he said, I'm not going to be a Rav. Uh, I'm going to try to make Parnosa from my star. Um And as we all know, his wife ran a little grocery store, and he helped out a little bit, and uh, he felt he was going to make money from his farm. Muhammad time, of course, was the first safer. We all know how he was trying to sell it anonymously. He didn't want people to know uh, his name. Um, and uh, it was, according to the sources, as before he wrote that book, the new rabbi who came into Raden, um and again, there's so many sources to confirm it that I know it must be at least 70 or 80% true. Um, what, what happened was this Rav's children 
somehow were considered going off the derech. In other words, the rov of Radin, well, the Chofetz Chaim said, I'm not going to be the rabbi, but they chose somebody to be the rov. And there became an incredible machlekes in this little town because people started talking about how the rabbi's kids are not following the Torah mitzvahs. They seem to be hanging around with the wrong crowd. Again, we all know, again, we're talking about a period, you know, somewhere in the 1860s, uh, 1870s, we all know that by that time, the Ascola movement, which had begun uh, in Germany, was really in full throttle force throughout Russia, through those areas. So there was a lot of people that felt, hey, these guys seem to know what they're talking about. They write in a more clear way. They have fun books to read. Uh, they don't make the differences between boys and girls the way we have. There's chances to go uh, to a, a real school and really gain some knowledge. It's possible to get out of that ghetto, right? So, so there was the, the Rugs children were were involved. Uh, with these chevra, and the shmua came out that how can we have a rabbi who lets his kids, um, n- who's not being metapa with his kids, <laughs> they're going to be a symbol of, for our children. And there was a tremendous uh, rash that the, that the rabbi didn't know how to control his own children, and because of that, perhaps the rabbi should leave. And they say, again, that the Chavzheim um, was extremely upset by this. He was extremely upset, and they could have, he could have been the rock. And now the person who came was assaulted by uh, innuendo, Lashon Hara, uh, things that people are saying, what you can say. And, and he felt that here he saw his community uh, sort of being ripped apart in that way. Uh, according to the Chavz Chaim's own son, someone came to the Chavz There was a, one of the Gedele Yisrael happened to be passing through, and the Chavz Chaim was passionate, and he said, I have to go speak to him and, and, and say, maybe we could do something in the city. And as soon as time is, a young man in his 20s, I think at that time, uh, spoke to this Gorolador about what was going on, and the, and the, the young man, at the time, of course, wasn't just a guy who couldn't open up a safe, or obviously, you know, as older as the other person was, he recognized that the time was a but as the time started telling him what was happening in the city, he said, this is not a place for a younger man to start talking. And he shut the Chavetz Chaim down. So Chavetz Chaim thought, and they were still there, uh, Kagan thought, Kagan thought, that he was talking with Tayelis, that he was trying to bring the story out so somebody else, and this older person told him, hey, you know what, this is not your spot. I know it's bothering you, but you have to be careful about the things that you say. It turned out that the Rav ended up packing up. <laughs> As a rabbi who left one of his stellars, I can tell I, I left because I was ill, but I know what it's like when, when, when the Tov, believe me, I, I had the target around my uh, neck as well. Anything, anytime somebody didn't come into the show, like when you start losing membership, it's like, what did the rabbi do? The, the guy's not with us. So I understand what it means when a rabbi has to leave his community and pack out. So he actually left Raden. And uh, he actually went to Chesidusha, I don't know where, but he went to Chesidusha to Hillel. And they say his kids, through the, the fact that they became more in a Chesidusha environment, an interesting story, they actually stopped their, you know, uh, uh, dalliance with the Haskola world. And they actually found acceptance, and they all married like Chesidusha uh, families. And the Rav himself, although he didn't live long, he had such Agmas Nefesh, his family was okay. So they say that that was what brought the Chavetz Chaim to write the same. In other words, it came from his own life. 
It came from, let's get this on paper. What can you say, what you can't say? Everybody thinks that I have a motive, and everybody's with Shem Shamayim, right? That's the way it is. It isn't like, okay, what's, it's not like the editors in some tabloid that are saying, what sort of juicy thing can we say about the face? I don't even know. Yes, I, I, I could know, but I'm saying, you know, again, about Trump. You know, all right, what can we say about him? What we, let's find out the next news. People do it with Shem Shamayim. People feel that they have that sense. Chavaz Chaim says, I'm going to, that's, they say, what was pushed to Chavaz Chaim to write that safer. So I think it's important for us to put that in perspective also about this idea of what it means about kids uh, going off the derech and things like that. I think that story is also incredibly, um, uh, it teaches us quite a bit about, you know, where blame lies and how to deal with things. Okay, so here's really the question. Chavaz Chaim wrote the book. Everybody studied it. Um, most people felt it was a great safer, and it definitely changed things. In fact, it changed things to the point that uh, in Eretz Yisrael in 1962, they developed the Choka Mishpat. Actually, I want to find it here. And I, I asked, uh, I found uh, there was an Israeli fellow, uh, David Raviv. I saw him. I don't know if you've met him. He's been here. He's a cybersecurity guy. And I was actually telling him to come because I thought he would appreciate the fact that the Israeli... Um, the Israeli Mishpat, I have it here, so let me get it here. It's from uh, Rakover. Okay, Rakover. All right. Uh, Nochem Rakover, you can look him up on Wikipedia. He's a beautiful Hadrasbonim, doesn't have a beard, but all his children are tremendous Tamilachachonim, Rabonim. Uh, he wrote this article, Nochem Rakover, that he was actually born. Uh, a couple of years before the Chavetz Chaim, uh, actually after Chavetz Chaim passed away. So he was a 30-year-old, he was approximately just in his 30s, or maybe 30, when he wrote this article, which is a very incredible article in 1962. Uh, he's still alive, Baruch Hashem, and he wrote the uh, beer on the coin on Eben Ezer. If you've ever seen the Rakavers beer of the Groh on Eben Ezer. So this is a fellow, he's completely in the Mizrahi community, but he's an incredible writer. Uh, and he really like, wrote the books, many, many books about Mishpatim and Eretz Yisrael. Now we all know that Mishpatim and Eretz Yisrael is a hodgepodge. We know that uh, after the Hakamas HaMedina, uh, the Rabbonim insisted on certain things that are going to be totally in their area, right? So we all know what they were. One of them, of course, is Geirus, because how else can you cite as a Jew uh, when it comes to the Kedushin, when it comes to Gitin? Those things, there's no other option except uh, the Rabbonim. However, in other areas, including many things we've talked about here, a lot of the Mishpat, Hoshim Mishpat cases, we know that in many of those areas, there's, al- there's alternates. There's alternates. There is a, a Mishpat, which we call a secular court. It's a secular Israeli Jewish court. Now, how does that work? Do they just like download the laws of the United States? Did they just deal with the laws from England because England was running the show there for 30 years? Is it based on the Ottoman Empire? Is it based, which is in many ways influenced by Islamic law and sometimes Roman law? So how does Israeli the court system work? So it's really fascinating. It's like it doesn't almost it's it's a labyrinth of, of 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 connections. What they try to do almost in every case is to find precedent in what's called historical Jewish law. In other words, they're not going to say, we're not following, and again, you have to listen to it from their perspective. We're not going to institute the laws of Besdin, 
But we are Jews, we are Israelis, we are people, and this has been in our DNA, whether it's from the Sephardic or the Ashkenazic world, we have the, the literature. So these, the, 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 they can actually cite precedent from a tshuva, from what they did in a certain community, and say, well, there is room for that. And that was actually used to help create the, the secular Israeli law. So there is a secular Israeli law against slander and libel. Okay, so I didn't have, you know, I, I send this email to many lawyers. So does anybody know what slander and libel is? I have the, I have it right here. But what is slander and libel? Anybody want to try on that? What? Legal, I think the legal definition of slander is something that damages. Libel is repression. Okay. So why would libel be Okay. And libel means falsely. <coughs> okay, you're right. So Tzvi is right. It has to do with being false. But what is, the, what is we all hear, I'm going to sue you for slander, right? Uh, he, he was brought up on, on charges for libel. What What is slander and libel? Spoken versus written. Trying to ruin Very good. Okay, very good. So basically, the difference between libel and slander is that slander is not written. And libel is written. Now, what does it mean, though? Okay, so I have here, I'm quoting from uh, Dr. Ekman, who's quoting West's business law. So this is what it is. Um, that uh, liability of, of, for slander is imposed to provide security of reputation. According to West's business law, the laws impose a general duty on all persons to abstain from communicating defamatory false statements about others. Now look at the way, the way the law is written. Uh, in the secular world, defamatory and false statements about other. In other words, it's defamatory because it's negative, but it's also specifically false. If it's true, you don't have that. Transgressing this duty orally, like you said, if you're speaking to a bunch of people and you say it with an earshot, not of the person you're talking about, but within someone else, not to a little bit, then that's called a tort. That's a tort of slander. Breaching it in writing encompasses the tort of libel. So once it's once it's in a paper, once it's actually printed, it's called libel. Speaking about it where people can hear about it, that's called slander. Now, a tort, of course, is um, is means that you can sue and get money for it, right? A tort is like you hit somebody, that's also can be a tort, right? I can actually get money for pain and suffering, for damages. So basically, in American civil law, if a person slandered or libeled someone else, and it can be proven the person did it, so you get money. That's what you go to court for. Now, why are you getting money? How, how do they determine to give you the money? What would you say? Why, why, why would you get the money? Damages. Damages to what? Reputation. Right. Meaning? Future income. Okay, good. So it's based on who you are and where you, what your future is, and if you're, especially if you're somebody who's already this way, and now this could, right? All right. Again, I, again, a lot of this stuff goes over my head, but I know the guy who was running Uber uh, somehow was defamed. Was 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 there's some stuff going up about it. I don't know if it was tort or I don't know if it was slander or not, but I know that his reputation suffered, and he really right. What he had to resign. But again, you have somebody who's riding high. It's a good, it's a good cop by Uber, right? right? He's being lifted up. So the point is, is that here he is, and they start saying some bad things about him. All of a sudden, his ability to earn money is is out the door, right? He can't be can't respect. The 
people in the company won't listen to him. He has people to have no confidence in the stock. So you can see that where the money comes from, right? You can see it isn't just, oh, you said a bad thing, bad boy. The ideas of these torts are they're somehow connected in some logical way to a damage, right? You were damaged. Okay, so now I guess my question is the following. How does this apply? And again, I'll show you the Israeli law in a minute. But how does this apply in Torah at all? Does the idea of being of someone who said Lashon Hara about you, or as you can see, slander and libel is all about what? Matzi Shemra, right? We know the difference because Matzi Shemra is what? Where it's false. So if you, part of these, these libel cases and these cases, they're all about proving whether it was true or not. If you can actually, in, in other words, we would say, I don't care if it's true or not. It might be worse that it's Lashonara, right? But here, but in the, in, in the civil court, how do we treat things? The fact is, is that if it's false, then the person has no right publishing it, no right talking about it. And therefore, since it's false, I have the right to sue you for what you're saying. Do we have some parallel to this in our law? Do we have a parallel? No, again, well, Israeli courts actually do. But does Halacha have that? Does Halacha's Bezdin have that? Where I can bring someone to Bezdin, he said Lashon Har about me, it wasn't true, people are going around talking about me, okay, I don't want his Mechil on Yom Kippur. I don't want him to come and just say, I said Lashon Har about you, and I want you to be Mechil me, and I don't want to be my friend. I want money back for what he's done. An example you gave, you said, let's say, the Uber guy, right? Yes. It could cause the stock to go down. If that was the case of a company that that liable of the CEO caused stock to go down, cause the stock to decline, does, do the do the shareholders also have a claim? <laughs> yeah. Besides, there's a big slander. Right. Everybody, you're right. You're right, Yoni. It well, starts a slippery slope. Once you say that this piece of information caused this hesitation, who knows? Maybe maybe you're right. All the sh- maybe that guy again. I don't know where he's going to come. The deep pockets he's going to have to uh, pay yeah, for it. But let's say let's say it's a news let's say it's a newspaper. New York Times. Again, and, and they have been sued. Again, the, the research is out there. It doesn't take... I found a number of libel cases uh, just with a click of, a, of, of one. I just put in one, two things. This person versus this person, and I got a whole bunch of hits. Clearly, me- newspapers, when they're sued for libel, that's who they do it. You go after somebody with the big pockets. Newspapers today probably don't have such big pockets. But they used to, right? The days of William Randolph Hearst and all these other people, right? These people that own these tremendous magnates, empires they own, right? Right, you know Citizen Kane, and you know what I'm talking about, right? So the point is, is that in those days, the people that ran newspapers and these media outlets, and again, it's still true in, in the media world. So you'd go after, so I would say to answer you, it's probably in the American legal world, they probably might, you know, the company, the shareholders, whoever, the CEO of the company, has a right to go after the newspaper for ruining for printing the story, which caused the uh, uh, the down uh, the downturn in, in 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 the stock, so uh, it was fascinating to me. And actually, Dr. Ekman points this out that we don't seem to have a parallel in halacha to that. Israeli law does, uh, because as we know, Israeli law is sort of like they, they want to be in the modern world. But it's interesting. I want to read you the actual words of the Israeli uh, before we get into the halacha part. I want to read you about <coughs> what actually it says in. Uh, the Israeli law of 1962. It's been changed a whole bunch of times. <laughs> Nobody's like Israelis for making things complicated. I want to tell you something. Their piskei dinim are very convoluted. I love reading them. 
their laws change every couple of years, and you, it's hard to find exact. Again, I, there's the 62 version of the law, the 68 version of the law, 69. But I know I, I can just read you, and again, therefore, don't hold me to this if you go do your research. But in the 1962, here was the um, here was the uh, the the way it was it was put up. Okay, this is from Rakover, who probably they. I don't think he was part of the people who wrote the law. At that, and now he's a big shot. At that time, he was just a younger man who was making waves. So here we go. Jacob, how you doing? I missed all the nice things I said before. Okay. Uh, all right. So here we go. This was the Russian Horror Law of 1962. Okay? So here it is. Uh, it's actually, they combined the uh, the the uh, Mishor Haklili, that's uh, criminal law, uh, 6391, with civil law, 4491. I actually looked these up today, and they are very different. But these numbers don't correlate today, so I guess, anyway. But originally they said, let's create, in 62, let's create a law that about libel and slander. So this is the way they actually begin their preamble to the law. Check this out. Um, this is okay. Shinuyam anirim drok. Kedei la'as. He says we need to create this. Kedei la'asotas hagona b'fnei motzei diva the laws. We need to protect our citizens from people that are out there that are hurting them, saying false rumors, insulting them. Yeah, right. Uh, and here was the exact language. Sukhius Loshon Hara, in other words, this is the way the preamble goes. This is not from Rakhimer, he's quoting the Israeli law. So it's in Hebrew, I'll translate. Sukhius Loshon Hara, Frate Dinev Yisurel, this idea of Loshon Hara, its laws and its Yisurim, it has Shroshon Kedumim law. It has deep roots in Misoris HaMishpana Ivri. In the traditional, again, you can see it's all very secular, right? It doesn't say the Chazal, right? He says it has deep roots in, 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 in Hebrew justice, right? As we know, the Torah says in Vayikra, don't be a tail bearer. I'm going to do a little bit of Israeli accent here. <laughs> And the mishpat, these 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 wise men of Jewish law in various generations saw in Loshon Hara a terrible sin which could actually cause the deaths of many people. Of course, the Rambam is referencing Doeg Adomi. We all know what he's talking about there. The Rambam's talking about where Doeg was the snitch. Remember about remember David was running away. David was running away. The Right, they, right, they hit him, and Shul came there. He said, "What's going on?" And Doe was the one who uh, uh, spilled the beans, and we know what happened there. Shul went into a rage. He says, "Okay, uh, Doe, nobody." Doe was the one who said, "Okay, I'll kill them." And Doe actually, um, assassin, you know, he actually killed them. Um, assassination's not the word. He ex- executed them for uh, treason, and of course, that's the Rambam's raya that with Lush and Hara. Look how people can die from that. Many of the essential points that we're going to say in our law have already been dealt with 
in the various, in the wide literature of Jewish, uh, Jewish law. And even near 1962, an incredible Chavetzchaim found himself in the actual uh, Israeli court, the Israeli legal uh, documentation. They, they had to mention the Chavetzchaim. In other words, when they wanted to do tort and, and, and slander law in modern Israel, when they wanted to present it, you couldn't move without the Chavetzchaim. Of course, he's he has an interest. He's not called the Gadol Yisrael the Tzaddik. He's called Gedolei Alocha Yivliim. He's one of the great Hebrew halachists. The And then, just so if you're a secular person, you don't know why it's called Chavetz Chaim. It actually tells you it's from the pasuk in Tilim Miyayish, of course, Chavetz Chaim of Yom Lerastov. That's where Hashem Lachameras and Chavidav Yevah. Mitoch Mikorot Skirot Mikorot Ela Anu Lemidim. If we actually do an honest, non-religious, but just an honest historical view of all the Hebrew sources, so what do we see? And it actually lines up to what we are going to suggest, because that's what we're going to do for our modern country. It means whether it's written, just like we talked about in libel, Aishabalpel or slander, Bain Shinemaraliachid, whether it was about a certain individual, or Bain al Arabid. This is one of the Hidush with Allah Sai, by the way. Al-Sayim proves in a number of places that Lush and Hara is not just about I was speaking about you, but speaking about IED, speaking about Newark, speaking about Jews in general, speaking about the Jews of what? Speaking about yourself. True. That's again. Speak by yourself is probably not going to be included. One of the things we wanted to yeah, is, example, right? That's right. That's true. Chaim learned that he shouldn't speak Lashon about himself. The famous story. What, what what the Israelis wanted from it was was this because this way you can libel you can get you can get someone for libel for speaking about the rabbi. He couldn't claim. Well, I wasn't talking about anybody in particular. No. When you speak about a group <coughs> of people, when you speak about a company, when you speak about them. That's also Lashon Hara. And that's part of what they actually extracted <coughs> from the Chafetz Chaim. And as we can see, Bein Alachai, Bein Alamet. This is another thing which, again, you don't need the Chafetz Chaim for, but Chafetz Chaim actually articulates it, that it also applies even for someone who's not here. He <coughs> could have said, well, his reputation's fitted. Well, I have to worry about what I said about this guy's father or about, right, how can I be, how can I be playing for that? He's dead. He can't take me to court. But we see that Lashon Hara applies even when you speak about somebody's father or grandfather or, or grandmother. Um, so, also, now what about, all right, but didn't I just say before, the Gemara says, and I, I, I'm, skip, I'm skipping a little bit here, but the Gemara says in Babakama, we know there is some, uh, we know there is one uh, financial, and those of you just chime in, because I'm sure you know what it is, there is a financial uh, payment you already know. There's a financial payment for what would seem to be making someone feel bad, right? Of course, what's that financial payment that we're talking about? It's one of the five things that you pay for, the Hamishat Zvarim that you pay. Poshas. Poshas, right? And which is really about embarrassment. It's not really about the wound that you have in your body, it's about the embarrassment. So, that seems to be a source for the idea, especially if Poshanara causes you Busha, why can't we just say, the reason why I can get money for it, because that embarrassed me. 
he said Russian horror to these two people, uh, whether it was true or not, that caused me embarrassment. Why can't I take a person to din for being Mavayishmi? Right? So Marba Bakama says, Busha, it's an interesting thing. If I uh, you know, if I take one of these plates and I grease it up a little bit and I put it over here while you're walking out and somebody does uh, 180 or whatever, or 360 or whatever, it does a complete flip. What? Takes a tumble. Takes a tumble. So then I can be held liable for Busha. Right? I did Busha Bepoyo. Right? That's true. I did Busha Bepoyo. So that the Gemara says, that's Busha. Or everybody knows that if I, if I take my, if I give a thrust, I take my fist, it doesn't hurt you. But everybody sees me slap you on the side of your face. So despite the pain, everybody saw that. So it's a physical act that everybody saw. So there was a certain payment that Gemara says, I'm sorry, Sloyim, for hitting somebody. So Busha was always connected to a physical act. True, the, 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 the hurt wasn't some was 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 the feeling that you have. That's why the Gemara says it depends who you are. It depends how respectful you are. It depends who's doing it. But we seem to have right. But the, even though it's true, Bush is about how you made me feel and how you hurt me. The Ona, like the hurt, like the Nosdvarim. But it's only you can only take a person to court and sue them if there's a physical act involved. Busha bidvarim, even though, you know, if, if, you know, if Rickles would come in over there, you know, and he would be, you know, right, you know, I'm talking about, he'd come in there and start basically insulting people, just making you into, we used to say, hashiblata, mamashi make, right, there's, there's professional insult artists, right, you come in there, that's true, and, uh, and, and basically pull you apart, you couldn't sue him. Because Busha bidvarim, the Gemara says you can't get mud out. Engel Tashlin. That's a Gemara. Gemara Babakama. So this seems to be a problem. This seems to indicate that I have to have an act with which to be able to get you for the hurt that I felt. The fact that you said these things to me isn't enough. So here the Israelis came up with their research and it says <coughs> still. <laughs> Meaning it wasn't consistent. We don't find it in the Talmud, but we find it in the Rishonim. We find it in the Rishonim that they actually did uh, give forth, promulgate, and exercise the law that we are going to punish you for embarrassment. You are going to punish you for saying things that are wrong. Uh, and you can see, and what did the person need to do? Again, according to the Israelis doing their research, uh, found that in many of the earlier sources that we actually forced the person to apologize, we forced the person to explain himself, we forced the person to retract the words that he was saying. So the, it's not in the Gemara. It's not in the, again, it's not in the Torah. It's not in the Gemara. Where did they find the idea that you can sue for slander in Jewish sources? They found it in the Rishonim. They found it in history. They found it in the early Akronim. And therefore, the Israelis felt, hey, we're going to Im- impose it here as well. And that's the reason why they were able to come up with an Israeli law as well. I know, again, I don't follow Israeli politics, but you don't need to to realize that this stuff is one that's churning all the time. They're always talking about, you know, uh, what did Netanyahu do with his maid, and what did Olmert do with, I don't know, something else. 
They're always talking about, right? And there's always this back and forth. It's, it's really a very litigious society in that way, maybe even more so in the United States. But these are the laws that govern it. So it made me think, all right, let's go with some of, let's find some of those sources. So first of all, let's step back for a second. Is there, is this really true? Is there a case where in the Torah you, 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 that for, uh, for, let's say, ruining someone's reputation, you don't have to, even though all you did was speak, isn't there a case in the Torah where you actually do have to pay and maybe even you have to actually suffer physically? Motsi Shemra, right? Motsi Shemra is in the Torah, right? It says, and we know what Motsi Shemra is. Actually, uh, 15 seconds to explain what it is. Does everybody know Motsi Shemra? Let me give 15, 20 seconds to explain what it is. So, again, we had it, we just had it in the first paragraph of, uh, of Sanhedrin, right? The whole explanation of what Motsi Shemra is. So, you know, Motsi Shemra is uh, somebody who has said about his wife that she has been unfaithful. Right, because here he is expecting a virgin, and she was not a virgin. But it's more than that. If you go through the Gemara, you'll see the Gemara says he does more than that. He actually uh, he actually accuses her, as the psukim and the Torah seem to indicate, that she had been mizana. She was an ish. We know a woman who's an arusa is a married woman. They spent a year or even more apart, not so apart, but they were definitely uh, married. And it was considered, as we learned a couple of weeks ago, one of the worst things in the world. To even worse than Aisha Nasua was to ruin the husband's chance to have his wife on the wedding night as a virgin. She's a married woman, and here is someone who slept with her. So we know that the mishpat over there, of course, is skila, even more chomer, as we know, than for Nasua. But if she was a willful participant in that, then she also gets Skiwa as well. So the Gemara says, it's not just that he says, I don't know what's going on here, but he actually creates a case against her. Uh, and saying that she had been Mizana. Bezdin deals with it, and Bezdin finds out, the way the Pesukim and, and Parshas Giseite uh, tell us, that what, what does Bezdin discover? That this was not true. Parso Asimla, the, the witness, that it becomes clear in the way everything is presented, that the man is lied. Actually, the Gemara says the Gemara says the reason why we know he's lying is because what happens? The Adim are found to be liars. Adim Zomim. And then it says that what do we do to the fellow? It says Viostroso that we actually give him Alkus. We beat him up, and he also has to pay Chamishim Kosef or Meizus, whatever he pays to the family. So Lachora, that should be a precedent, right? Instead of going to the Rishonim, why isn't that a precedent for... Zomim itself should be a precedent. Zomim should be a precedent that any time I say Lashonara, I should have to pay? No. I want to know... Zomim do have to pay for trying to be Machai of someone else's money. Okay, hang on. So, Hilly, we're talking about the idea of are you Chayev for... Um, defamation of character. Should you be chayyim for defamation of character and have to pay money for it? So Mora, Moitzi Shemer should be a source. But I sort of gave you half of the answer already. That you could say that Moitzi Shemer is only only in that case where there was Adis. Uh, otherwise, it's got to have all those things. 
but normally it maybe can't be seen as a precedent. However, um, I, I, I would like to show you something which seems to seems to disagree with that. Um, and you know, whenever you go through the chuvas, you're going to find some interesting history stuff. Um, this is a chuva from the Rashbash. Some of you might have seen it and said, who's the Rashbash? You probably saw, what's that? You know, I, if you saw the uh, blurb for today. Actually, as you can see, his father was the author of Tashmates. He was actually born <coughs> the Spanish, uh, uh, the, the, the expulsion of the Jews of Spain happened in two stages. Everybody knows the famous one, right? Above the sail the ocean blue, 1492, right? But the first one, 1391, 1397, right? Was it one? Was it Portugal then? I thought it was 1397, but maybe you're right. I, I defer, especially it's your area, right? Yeah, it's your it's your Russia, anyway, right? <laughs> so anyway, I believe it was 1397. But anyway, uh, two of the incredible Rabbanim who made their way to Algeria or Africa were uh, the Rivosh, Rabitza Pachesius, known as Profe Buran, that's what his sort of Spanish name was, and the Rivosh. And the other one was, uh, sort of a distant cousin of his, was the uh, another Duran. He was the uh, Rashbats. The of Shimon ben Semachteran, or the Tashbates. His son, as you can see here, uh, was the Rashbash. And you can see a little bit of a drush here about what he's about. Um, he actually was with the, the Rivosh and the uh, and the Tashbates. Both came to Algeria, and the Rivosh never learned Arabic. Uh, he was an old Spanish rabbi. He was older, and he said, "I'm going." And he became, and he was the oldest, and became the posik. The Rashbats, who was younger, was always a needle in the side. They both were brilliant, and the Rashbats, in many ways, it's a fascinating story. Uh, he respected him, but he really felt the Rivosh was a little bit, be, you know, because there was an indigenous North African population there. They escaped from Spain, but it was like the Jews who came to, uh, the Europeans who came to America uh, post-World War II. Many of them came and said, okay, we're running the show. And the Americans said, hold on, you know, again, we've been here for 100 years already. We've been here 70 years already. Uh, you know, uh, things have to go a little bit our way. So that's sort of what happened in Algeria, North Africa at the time. So the, uh, the but he had a son. Uh, the the Rashbats' son was born there. He worked with his father, as you can see. And then, incredibly, listen to this, what happened. Again, I tried to figure out where this community was. It's somewhere in, in Morocco. But here's what happened. Names have all been, they didn't take the names out. So here's what happened. Uh, so there's the Rashbash. After his father died, sometime in the 15th century, he's writing this letter, and he said, what's going on here? He says, right? The Rivosh's daughter, Prasyosha, right? Prasyosha. She has written to us, meaning me, Pomim Rabbis, and she has a taina about who? An Yitzchak Nakinis, Yitzchak Nakinis, and she can't find anybody that's going to help her. What did this Yitzchak Nakinis do? He's been saying such terrible things about her, he's been saying Lashon Hara about her, he's been being Moitzi Shemra about her, and I already wrote you, Rabbonim, you should get rid of, you should do something to this guy, because it's not right that people should say bad things about girls, especially uh, the daughters of great Talmud HaChamim, and I see you're not listening to me, you're not, you're not dealing with this case, 
and, and even had this Nikinus talked about some empty person, you should have taken the guy, you should have given him Makas, you should have dealt with him, especially if she's the daughter of the of, of the Rivash, Bas Mareno, Godobi Yisro, how could you let that girl get a reputation solely? And now she wrote me another letter. And she said, the guy is continuing. Nakinus is just keeping on sending this terrible stuff. And this is what he's saying. He's saying that she, who's the daughter of the Rivash, she's an almana of Avram Lobel. And all the names over here. So you have Avram Lobel's uh, wife, the daughter of the Rivash, that she has been fooling around with her son-in-law, Chaim Shtura. Right, and, and 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 he says what they're doing. They're involved in all these acts. I don't even want to say it. What they're what, what, what's being said about this woman and her son-in-law? Anybody hearing about it would just be shocked. So the uh, the Rashbash says, first of all, of course, and it's interesting because the Rivosh himself and the Rashbats had had their own machlokes. But now the Rashbash says, I have to be accounted for the covet of this woman, especially she's the daughter of this great Tamil Chachamim. And he says that, um, but what is he going to say? So he bases it on this. Take a look. He bases it on, first of all, he quotes here, yes, Busha Bidvarim is not Chayim, but that's only from the Gemara. But Rashi Ragon writes, that even though the Gemara says you don't make someone pay for embarrassment, but when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, needly, we can put that person in chayyim. Rashiragon, who lived, you know, uh, almost a fat, you know, eight hundred years, seven hundred years after the time of the Zimas Talmud, he says we have a kabbal among the Gonim that we don't just leave a person alone to embarrass somebody. A person who says Shanara hurt someone, you have a right if it's true to put that person in chayyim. Until he, they make up. The Rush, writing hundreds of years later, based on what he had heard from his Rebbe, the Marami Rutenberg in Germany, he said the following thing. He says, it's worse. He says, the truth is, take a look. It's worse to be insulted and be dressed down than to slip on a banana peel when someone puts the banana peel on you or, or even hits you. And again, those of us who had been involved in embarrassing situations, we constantly relive it. We don't relive the fall that we took, but we still remember the way we were hurt and insulted. And the Rush writes that. He says it's definitely worse. And the Rush Bash quotes the Torah. You find my interesting about three later. He doesn't even quote That's the way he called the Torah. He says the Torah is called the Sefer HaChoshen. You can see there it says the same thing. That's what the Torah is named after. What? Right, the Torah, but he called it Sefer Achlishin. Next, then he says that. um, Now, then he brings a raya from this Gemara, and we'll stop with this. The Gemara says that was it say Arikzol that Tuvia came to um, Tuvia didn't have Eira. And the peasant needs to get involved. It was probably some sort of sexual avera. We're not sure, but that's what it sounds like. So what happened? Zigud came and gave Avis. Zigud osin kubei kamei rafapa. Talked about rafapa yesterday. We made a see him. Our papa was the big rachman. Our papa was known to be a rachmanis. He was always making shalom. But when Zigud came and gave Avis, osin nagdei lezigud. 
He gave Makhdis to Zigri. He Omar, so he said, Tufi Ochotva, the Zigri Mangid. I, I, Tufi is the bad guy. I'm not the bad guy. I came to give Avis. We know the Torah says that you can't just give ages on one person. If you're one person, you have to have another person with you. Why did you come here? You thought somebody else was going to join you? Okay, but he's not here. And you open your mouth and you gave ages. Once you give ages and you open your mouth, Alma, so what does it say? Shame Bisha be Alma, Kamafi. That's what Rakhbukha says. Shame Rabba Alma Mafiole. What you try to do is just ruin this guy's rep. And Rav Papa, the great Balchesed Rav Papa, gave that guy Makis. So you see that you can give Makis as what? For, for uh, defamation of character. So Alma Moitzi Shem Makis Margis. The same thing was true in his case. So this was a, a proof. Now, the problem with the Rashbash's uh, proof, that's why in the case of the guy who's talking about the Almona, we also should give him Makis. And since we can't give Makis in that case, so we're going to give him a cheyrim, but we have a right to impose financial and corporal punishment on somebody. Not from the Rishonim, from the Gemara itself, because the Gemara says Rapopa did it. Now, the problem, though, we'll end with this, is that you could <coughs> argue that it's only here that there's a law of coming to Besdin. Because where I'm coming to Besdin, the Torah says, well, Yoko made Echobish. You're not supposed to give Avis when you know there's no one with you. But let's say I'm just in a fight with someone, or I'm just upset at someone, or I got some bad information. Maybe there, again, Rav Papa wouldn't have given Marcus. Maybe it's only because there was that law that he was able to do it. Still, this seems to be one of the sources that it's based on, that, that the Rashbash, quoting this Gemara, that we actually, it's not just something that we decided to do, it's actually in our, our Talmud itself, knowing how terrible this idea is. And therefore, uh, there's precedent to sue in court and to get damages. Is there, it really depends, of course, on what the situation is, but there seems to be a halachic precedent even from the Torah to sue and get money uh, for Lush Hara. We'll go down for, for a minimal. I'm going to hand you out, if people want, I'll put in the back. Uh, some of the uh, material for the Huff Time Zero site tomorrow, special Pair K Tillet, things like that. Uh, Deershu was trying to have a, uh, and hopefully they will, uh, going to be happening to Koizo, and there's going to be a worldwide, supposedly Kinnus uh, all over. Times, Shoma, it could be Oyle even further than it has up until this point. And Jacob, we should share many, many Sibukas together. Tats, again, I'm expecting the least to be invited to Tats and Pachas and Amit Hashem. And as I said, to be Zayacha to build a bias Neman, a bias of complete Shalom, where there is no cruelty, only Ava of Shalom, just like I know that it's completely there with you. Take care, everybody. We'll see you, Mitzvah Hashem next week.